Good morning. It is great to be with you today. Delight to be here at Holmes Avenue Church. And I uh, just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we've been praying for Miranda and for Brian as they're going through this time of recovery. And uh, we're so thankful for Pastor Brian, for Pastor Walter. We're so thankful for the family of churches that we have, the dynamic of our churches that are leaning in toward each other for mission. Um, the Charleston Association, which is where I serve uh, on a regular basis as a director, uh, we have the privilege to be a part of uh, many churches, 82 churches in the Tri-County area. We are partnering together since 1751. Anyone here back in those days? No, I don't think so. If so, you look really good for your age, let's say that. Um, we are really thankful for the work that the association has started back then and that's continued throughout all these decades and centuries um, to help strengthen churches, strengthen leaders, and help to plant more churches. Um, one of the things I'm asked often is, well, if Charleston's the holy city, we've got 82 churches in the Tri-County area, do we need more churches planted? Uh, well, the answer, I believe, is yes, and I'll tell you why. There are 830,000 people who make up the greater Charleston Tri-County area. Um, out of the 830,000, it is estimated that by the year 2028, we will have 1 million people living here in greater Charleston. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? it just get in the traffic, right? You know <laughs> things are changing. Um, and so the other dynamic about traffic, if you'll notice on Sunday morning, it's pretty good. You can get around pretty easy on Sunday morning. And that's the part that we want to see uh, actually get more traffic. In fact, on any given Sunday, here's the stats, and it's sobering, but I believe there's an opportunity with this as well. About 90,000 people out of the 830,000 of ev any evangelical church on any given Sunday morning, 90,000 people make their way to a church, which is a good number. But wow, is that much different than the number of 830, right? The disparity between the two. That means that our church population compared to the region population uh, is moving toward single-digit percentages. And, and that's, the, that's the downside, is that pre-pandemic, we continue to go down a decline with church attendance, and yet our population continues to soar. Now, here's what's happening so that we understand the dynamic of the need for mission to continue through the local church. And that is that out of 38 people a day that move into Greater Charleston, over half of them have no faith background at all. Meaning that if you went to your neighbor's house and said, hey, I'd like to have Bible study with you, and I'd like to study in the Gospel of John, um, they'll first of all wonder, you know, how do I find a Bible? <laughs> and number two, where in the world would the Gospel of John be in that Bible if I did agree to have Bible study with you? And so many people coming in have no faith background, or many of them are just de-churched, meaning that they, they were raised in the church at some point, but somewhere in their journey they just departed and left and, uh, and gave up on the local church. So when we have that perspective as those that come to church on Sunday who have the Bible, who know Jesus, who have been taught the Word, we've got to begin thinking about how do we open a front door to them? Well, they may not come in the front door of this church on Sunday morning, but they may come to the front door of your house. Uh, they're probably next to you in your workplace. They're next to you in your classroom. Whatever table that God has put in front of you, we have an opportunity to connect with people where they are and to begin to invite them into, first and foremost, to know who Jesus is and to the family of God. 
Our churches together can partner in a way that we can strengthen that call of mission to one another. I love the fact that uh, the Park Circle pastors pray on a regular basis together. We know what's going on in each other's lives, and we're prayerfully supporting each other in that way. That's such a gift. That is such a gift. I'm praying for more of those kind of pastoral uh, collectives and cohorts will happen all around our region because we need encouragement. The church needs encouragement, doesn't it? And today I think that we're going to find encouragement from God's Word as we look into Acts chapter 14. Just before we look there, I also want to say I'm so grateful for the work that God is doing to strengthen churches and revitalize and replant many of our churches. Just recently, Remount Baptist Church went through a process of replanting. Uh, They had gotten to the place where they realized that on their own they needed some help and some strength, especially to reach in that diverse area of Remount Road. And so I'm really delighted also to have here a family that's visiting with us today, with Rebecca and I, uh, Ian and Elizabeth Cundiff and their girls in the back. They're here this morning. Uh, They're traveling with us today. They're they're part of the Centerpoint Church at Remount now. And uh, Ian is a replanter resident, so he's learning and wanting to visit more churches to find out ways that he can pray for them. And so I'm so grateful to have Ian here with us. He's learning beside us in the way that we can begin to send out more missionaries to serve our community and to strengthen the local church. Well, I pray this morning that as we look into God's Word, that in Acts 14, we'll find things that personally help us in our intersections of faith in our life, but also that we'll see the mission of the gospel in a new way. A mission of the gospel in a new way. In Acts chapter 14, I want to, I've titled the message Mission Possible because I'm spinning off of that great series of movies over the years, Mission Impossible. Y'all know that, right? Remember Mission Impossible? Favorite parts of it, right? You, you, have, uh, uh, you have Ethan Hunt, who's that guy who's coming in and he's going to give, he's given the impossible task to accomplish. Um, not only the impossible task, but uh, there's a really slim, slim chance of success that this isn't going to work out. I mean, it's just totally possible this thing's going to unravel and it's not going to happen. And then you see the, the plan and the people and the situation. Everything seems to be so fragile, right? So ready to just collapse in a moment. Well, we know the end of the story every time. The good guy wins the story. He wins the battle. Sometimes he gets the girl. He usually gets the girl. You know, that's how it goes in those dramatic movies. One thing I like about it a lot, too, is when, you know, you get that uh, message, whatever he gets it from, whether it's a tape or something like that. In the old days, it was a tape, cassette tape, and then it just self-destructed. You know, this is going to self-destruct in 30 seconds, and you have to go do your mission. So that's a fun, it's a fun movie to think about. It's a fun thing to think about. And as I was thinking about that uh, in context to this passage, when you think about the early church and the way that it started, Jesus came. He gave his life, he resurrected, he ascended, and then the church was started. The Spirit of God came in in Acts chapter 1. It just seems to me that at any point, as you read through the book of Acts, as you've been studying it, that at any point, this thing is going to unravel. Like everything about it is going to fall apart. It is so fragile, and it appears to be something that seems to be impossible. And here's the wonder of the gospel and the wonder of, of the power of the Lord in his church, is that first of all, the church is God's idea, right? In other words, we, we as the church are part of a mission that won't fail. Now that's encouraging that we can note that, that we're part of a mission that won't fail. The second thing is that the church 
is under Jesus, who's the head. Um, there is more to us than just who or what we see happening on a Sunday morning. We are the body of Jesus. That's why I love what Holmes Avenue Church is doing, uh, collaborating with churches that love Jesus just as much as we Baptists do, and cooperating together in a way that we can see the kingdom of God expressed in a way that we are his body and he is the head of his church. The other thing is important to note is that we are not alone. The church has never been left alone. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he commissioned and sent the disciples out to go make disciples. And then he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's always a reality of encouragement. Jesus never asked us to do ministry for him. We do ministry with him. There's a big difference in that. Now, in the with, we do the for, right? But not just the for in the sense that, okay, Lord, you've done what you can do. Now we're going to do what we can do. And at the end, we'll see you in heaven. We'll bring all of our works together, and that'll be the glory of the kingdom. No, Jesus is actively involved in his church. He's actively the head. He's actively the one who is Lord over all. He is the one that continues to see his kingdom move forward, and we participate in that. So we're empowered by the Spirit. We've not been left alone. I love that about the hope of the gospel, that we've not been left alone. The reason why is because you look at Acts 14, and you're going to think, this is the end of the story. Uh, there's no more chapters to write. Uh, several things happen in this text that we'll see. And there's three things I want to point out to you today. First of all, the mission of the the mission of the gospel, the mission of the church was tested, and then the mission was challenged, and then lastly, we will see the mission was accomplished, but it was celebrated as the work of the kingdom of God moving forward. The mission was tested, and so look with me in, in chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to skip over these kind of sections of, of the chapter because there's a lot of text here, and Brian, I mean, Walter said, be mindful of the air conditioning, so I am mindful of that. I won't be like the preacher who often when he preached the message, he'd take a mint, a peppermint, and he'd put it in his mouth, kind of on the side of his cheek right here. And once it melted, then he knew he was finished. It would kind of go about 20 minutes and it was, it was dissolved and the message was over. Until one day he reached in his pocket and he found a very tasteless mint that he put in his cheek. And uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon, people were already, they were gone. They stayed as long as they could. And he didn't realize that he had a extra button in his pocket that he put in his mouth. So I just want you to know, I've not put either of those in my mouth. I've got a timer right here, so we're going to be on target here, all right? We're going to be all right. I won't test you in that way. Um, the mission being tested as we look at this text is an amazing story. In chapter 13, you've been learning and watching how that Paul and Barnabas were sent out, and they were seeing the gospel move among the Jews and the Gentiles to the point where uh, the Gentiles were receiving the gospel, and then there was a pivot in the whole narrative of Acts where the gospel now was being sent to the Gentiles through Paul and through Barnabas. Well, this didn't make the Jews very happy. First of all, many of them rejected the message of the gospel, and then the ones that saw the Gentiles coming to faith, it created this uproar and this big fuss. In this chapter, we're going to see everything from Paul and Barnabas going through the potential point of being stoned to death to the point of healing a lame man and then Paul being stoned and then at the very end they come back to the place where they all started in Antioch. 
And what's interesting is they were sent out by the church of Antioch to go on this mission to make the gospel known, and they did that. You would think when they came back after all the things that we'll read in this text that happened, that they would have been done. Like, we're turning the keys in, we're, we're putting our shoes in, we're, we're finished, we're not going to keep going. This is crazy. We're going to lose our lives. But we see that in the gospel and through these leaders that they were willing to commit and sacrifice everything, everything for the sake of the gospel. And so in chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, here's what we find is that Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue and they preached to the Jews and the Greeks, and many believed. As a result of that, the population of the city became divided. Some of the Jews uh, sided with the apostles saying, yes, we believe. But then the Gentiles and the Jews together with their rulers made an attempt to mistreat them and stone them down in verse 5. And so what did they do? Paul and Barnabas thought in this moment, we are going to flee from this attempt at our suffering and this attempt of thwarting the mission of the gospel. So there's three things we see really in this first part about being tested. And this is true to life, isn't it? First of all, in verse 2, there was disbelief. It says the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Disbelief. Disbelief. The second thing we see is division in verse 4. The population of the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. Then the last thing we see in verse 6 is the departure. The departure. And that is Paul and Barnabas left and went to uh, Iconium, or they left into Lystra, rather, and they wanted to see the gospel go forward. Three things that I think are important to note about being tested, the mission being tested. First of all, disbelief. Disbelief. Unbelief is one of the things that will always keep the gospel from moving forward. It can't stop it, but it certainly can thwart it and thwart its purpose. I don't know about you, but uh, as much as we all profess to be believers in Jesus, I'm sure, in this room, there are many times, many times, that unbelief creeps up in our own hearts as believers. That's why I love the gospel, because the gospel is good news. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, but it's also the power of God for me to believe again and again and again that Jesus is who he says he was. Not to doubt that, but what about when my faith or what I believe about the gospel is questioned by myself? I need the gospel again to remind me who Jesus is, what he has done, who I am, and what am I called to do? So I want to encourage you as a Christian this morning that when you're tested internally by your doubts or your fears or all those things, we have the opportunity again to believe the gospel. In fact, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, I preach the gospel of myself every day. Why? Because we forget. We forget where we came from. We forget that we are completely reliant upon a righteousness not of our own, but that the grace of God given to us gives us something we could never deserve on our own. And because of that, I am utterly dependent on that gospel reality. That's why the book of Romans is written all the way through 16 chapters. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, because in the gospel, there is something revealed I cannot get on my own. And that's a perfect righteousness with God. And so the rest of Romans from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16 is all about how the gospel informs every part of our lives. I believe, even as a believer in Jesus, that we're always moving from unbelief to belief. In other words, intellectually, you may have come to the place in your 
mind and then in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you trusted in him. But that doesn't mean that since that point in time you've not had a question about God, about your life, about circumstances, about relationships. And that's where we need the gospel to be good news all over again to us, to believe in what we know is true. I love this about Paul and Barnabas. It says at the end of this section that they left. Now you think, okay, wait a second now. If these guys are really like all in, why would they just kind of pull away and depart? And here's what I believe was happening. And it's a principle that I believe that's important for us to remember. And that is that vision, God's vision, God's calling always drives direction. Vision drives direction. They knew that the mission of the gospel was to continue, not just in the place they were, but to continue forward in the next place and the next place. One thing I also note about this, if you read Acts, is that these leaders always led, were led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, many times, right, they would be going one direction, and then God would say, go over here. There's someone in Macedonia that's yelling out, come over here, and they would go over there. So they were being led by the Holy Spirit as they began to walk and see the mission of the church be expanded. So I think when we're tested, many times the temptation is, let's get out of that testing. And if you read Paul and Barnabas, you think, well, they departed because they wanted to get out. I believe that they knew that there was more to do, and it wasn't the right time for them to be confronted and even potentially risk their own lives. And so they were called to another place, and we'll see that in the next portion there are many things that God does that are mysterious to us at many times because his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, says Isaiah the prophet. But as we see that, we know that God's purposes are always at work. So these men were trusting in the Holy Spirit to lead. They just came off this amazing reality of preaching in the synagogue. People believed, and then there was this uprising against them. Remember, Jesus, many times when he would do a miracle, he would say, now I want to beg you, I want to plead with you, tell no one about it because my time has not yet come. That's the reality I think Paul and Barnabas were dealing with in that moment. The time had not yet come, and we'll see exactly why. So the first thing we see is that the mission was tested. The second thing we see is that the mission was challenged. Verses 8 through 20, 8 through 20. mission was challenged. And we see this, that in Lystra, when they got there, there was a man that was lame. And this man was lame, uh, could not use his feet, lame from birth, never walked. Uh, he was listening to Paul as he was speaking. Now just picture that. Here's a man that's struggling, crippled all his life. And as he connects with Paul and Paul's making the gospel known, Paul intently stared at him, it says, and he saw that he had faith. He believed what he was saying. So what did Paul do? He said this with a loud voice in verse 10, stand up right on your feet. And the man stood up. No, it didn't say that. It says the man leaped up and began walking. You talk about something very demonstrative, right? It's not just, hey, get up. You've never stood before. No, we're going to go beyond standing. It's kind of like my grandbaby. Some of them are choosing not to crawl they're just kind of scooting on their, rump, on their bottom. You know, just scooting is how they're doing it. They're going to skip that and go right to walking, I think. But this man went right to the point of saying, no, I'm up. Like, I'm ready to go. I, I've been completely and totally healed. Well, it was a miracle. No question about it. This man was crippled from birth. So, in this city, there was a strong belief of mysticism. There was a strong belief of the gods. In fact, many of them would put their faith in 
the gods that would bring them rain or bring them food in order to give them life and sustenance. So they began to interpret, the crowd did, that what had happened was that these gods in verse 11, that these two men are actually gods who've come down in human form. So they began to put a party together, like we're going to celebrate and we're going to make sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Now, can you imagine you're used by God to speak the gospel, you speak a word and God heals someone and all of a sudden you are the hero of the day. Now, what went wrong with that is Paul and Barnabas knew that, no, we're nothing but men. And they, com- they compelled these, these citizens to say, no, we're just men. But they insisted that they would honor them and that they'd recognize them because the fear was that if we do not worship the God and celebrate what he has done, then he's going to bring havoc upon us. What's interesting is just 50 years earlier before they got to this village, something strange really happened. They actually had a flood in that town of Lystra. And when the flood came, it knocked out all the homes except for one small cottage. And that one small cottage was where a family welcomed in two men, two people who they believed were Zeus and Hermes. And because those two men welcomed these, this cottage welcomed these two men into their home, they assumed that this was our second opportunity in this village that was rebuilt after 50 years of being destroyed to say, we better pay attention this time. So we're going to grab Paul and Barnabas and say, these are the guys. We don't want any more floods to come. We want to save our town. That was in their mindset, and they could not shake that free from their mindset. So they tried their very best to worship. Now, here's the bad news. It was double trouble for Paul and Barnabas because they had to convince them of two things. Number one, they were not gods. The second thing is that the gods that they were believing in were not gods either. Now, that's what you call a big problem. Because now we have an issue, right? We have the issue of Gentiles believing in Jesus. We have this miracle in this Gentile town. And all of a sudden, all this commotion around Paul and Barnabas being these two acclaimed gods based on their their accolades. So when we look at the story, what we see is that everything and everyone turned against him at that point. Because now, now you've made it a really mess. So you've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've seen a lame man get healed. But now we are turning against you. In fact, the Jews that were in the first city when they were preaching the gospel followed them and started stirring up the town. And so they just added kind of this mod squad together of of people against Paul and Barnabas to the point where they all ganged up against Paul and Barnabas. Well, what we know is that Barnabas somehow moved out of that picture. Don't know exactly where he went, what happened, but Paul was the center of attention. And what happened? Well, the whole town who said, you're saying you're not a God and our gods aren't a God, and the Jews that are here that are against you, it's time for a stoning. I don't know. You've never been to a stoning, have you? I hope not. I've never been to one. I would never want to be at one. It's a horrific thing. So what's amazing is that Paul actually went through being stoned. In fact, at the end of this passage, it says that he was left for dead. Like, that's amazing. So the mission being challenged was the fact that Here they are again, making the gospel known. Their gospel's moving forward. They're looking for more people to come into the kingdom of God. And then there was this opposition in a horrific way of a stoning. So that's not the end of the story, though. Down to the the last part of 
the, uh, chapter 14, verse 19 and 20. It says the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They all came in after winning the crowds over. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. But after the disciples had surrounded him, he got up. He got up. Like, how does that happen? Now, what we don't know is what real, how was he stoned? Was he hit in his body? Was his head injured? Don't know. I don't have any, any research to know that from this text. But it says that the disciples came around him. I don't know if they had to do CPR. I don't know what exactly happened. But all I know is that they surrounded him, very likely putting their hands upon him and praying for him. And instead of just picking him up and taking him to a place to try to heal his wounds, it says that he got up. And then it says he went back into the city. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a city and I'm creating a ruckus and there's a problem and they stone me and I survive it, I'm certainly not going back to the place where I got stoned. And what I think is amazing about Paul, and this is a principle I think about when the mission's challenged, is that the mission of God is always over me. The mission is always over me. Now, we don't face that kind of issue here, thankfully, in our country, where someone's tempted to be stoned in our city. But I believe there's a principle here that's important, and that is the fact that my preferences, my conveniences, my way, uh, my will is never to be impeded over the mission of God. But the beauty of that is when the mission of God is over me, then when God is glorified in me, I can be completely satisfied in him. John Piper speaks about that reality. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's where Paul was. He knew, he lived his life as a man on mission that was way over his own preferences, his own agenda, his own will, to the point where he was stoned to death almost. He gets up and he goes back into the place that he was called. He didn't relinquish from that calling. Now you think, okay, Craig, that's great, but we're talking about an apostle. Like, he's super empowered. Like, he's got an extra measure of grace and an extra dose of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. I think the Holy Spirit and the grace is the same for us. You've seen heroic stories, and I have too. What God is doing around the world in people in great pain. I look at the Ukrainian crisis, and I see Ukrainian people of faith coming together at all costs. In fact, we've got some video, uh, Cooper River Baptist Church, where Pastor Brett Pagan is. His wife, Hope, is Ukrainian. And some of her family are people that lead the church. They're uncles that are pastors. And what have they done? They've opened their homes up as shelters. They have welcomed people in who were bombed out of their city. I remember a story of a lady that was 85 years old that was put in a wheelbarrow and pushed through the woods at night to get to a bus in order to go to one of these houses for shelter. They're risking it all. You look at the prime minister, right, of Ukraine and how he's just, hey, I'm standing here with my country. So we know that when God calls us to something and that mission is driving us, that no matter what, we're going to stay true to that calling. And for years, that's been the testimony of the church, is that there's been suffering, persecution, and people have stood tall in the face of persecution. I don't have to convince you, as Jesus said, that in this world you will have tribulation because of me. If you name the name of Jesus, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have suffering. You're going to make sacrifices. But he says this, be of good courage because I've overcome the world. 
That's why I believe when Hebrews says that it was for the joy set before him, Jesus, that he endured the cross. Why? Because he knew there was a point in time by which through his suffering, it would end up into triumph at his right hand, right hand of the Father, interceding for us, accomplishing the mission. See, what makes this whole mission of the church possible is, again, we are not alone, that Jesus is with us, that his spirit has empowered us, and that we're one body together. There may come a point in time when here in America, the very things you believe, the Bible you hold in your hand, all those things are going to be contested, protested, and you yourself will be afflicted in many ways. That's hard to picture in this land of the free, home of the brave. But the reality is we must always be ready to defend what we believe and stand with those who are persecuted around the world because they are our brothers and sisters. They are the body of Jesus. So the mission was tested. The mission was challenged. But then we see the triumph of the mission. It was accomplished. It was accomplished. We see that in the last part of this chapter, verses 20 to 28. On the next day, so Paul goes back in after being stoned. I, I'm sure he got a good night's rest. He sure needed it, right? On the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby, And after they proclaimed the good news in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. So again, they didn't just abandon the places they went because there was trouble. They went right back to the same places. But they ended up where they started, which was at Antioch. See, Antioch was a very important place because it was different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, where the church was established. But in Antioch is where the church was mobilized and multiplied. It became a hub church for the world. When, the, when Jesus said that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, the book of Acts just chronicles that all the way through up to, up to chapter 28, where Paul ends up in Rome. So the reality is that we must look at what was accomplished. And we see three things here that was accomplished. One is that disciples were strengthened and encouraged in verse 22. The second thing is that leaders were affirmed and appointed in verse 23. And the last thing is that the goals of their mission were achieved and the gospel advanced in verse 27. It says in verse 27, when they arrived and had gathered the church together, they reported all the things that God had done with them and he, that he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles so that they spent considerable time with the disciples. So they gave a report to the church, and this is their report, is that they arrived, they gathered the church, they reported all the things that God had done with them, and that he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. All the things that God had done with them, and that he'd opened a door for the Gentiles. Now, let's get human for a minute, shall we? If I had gone through everything that Paul and Barnabas went through in the opposition and all the things that were going against them, you would think it would be, can I just share with you from a human perspective how rough this really was? I mean, it was bad. And I'm sure they shared the details without question. After all, Luke captured it and put it in Acts chapter 14 for us. But here's the reality of that whole thing, and that is that they put that whole narrative under one big banner. God had done something through them. You ever see your trials or your suffering or your testing as that God is doing something in you and through you? 
It is not easy to feel that way. That's why James, I think, said it, um, you know, when trials come, it's a point of being tested. Count it all joy when a trial comes your way. Why? Because your faith is being tested. Your faith is being tested. But let that testing have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work in you. Jesus said, again, don't think it's strange that a temptation is going to come your way. Peter said that. Don't think it's strange that when a, when a testing comes your way, that, but if you suffer the, for the sake of righteousness, you are, you are blessed. And Jesus said that in Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted, those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. So I think it's a good reminder for us as we look at this amazing story of what happened, that we remind that, that even when uh, we might be mistreated, misunderstood, and even manipulated against, God's purposes are way above our circumstances' efforts or our opposition's efforts against us. If God be for us, right, Scripture says, who can be against us? That was the disposition that Paul and Barnabas had. So what happened after this story? Well, they just uh, did a good self-pep talk, and they just kept going out trying to win people to Jesus. No, they didn't do a pep talk. They, they lived in this reality that God was with them, and that God was working through them, and that people were coming to faith in Jesus, and that's all that mattered. So the question for us is, what really matters to us? You know, what, what, is, what, is the, what really matters when it all comes down to it? What was accomplished? Um, how is God at work? If we suffer and we go through trials, it's one thing. We can say we learned a lot through the suffering. But I want to be able to say, I learned a lot, but let me tell you what God has done in me and through me and for me as a result. So I believe it comes down to heart, disposition, and mind. So we see disciples strengthened and encouraged, leaders affirmed and appointed, and goals achieved, and the gospel advanced. Instead of this whole thing being something that depleted Paul and Barnabas, it actually replenished them. It fueled them. I've always heard it said that if, if, you, are, if you are making the gospel known and you're pressing into the kingdom and seeing it advance, if you don't experience opposition, double-check and make sure you're pressing the gospel forward and not yourself. I believe that whenever we press the gospel forward and the kingdom is advancing in our life, opposition and darkness will try to push against that. We should expect that. But we can be encouraged because God has a purpose. So the mission was accomplished. So they celebrated by the fact that they strengthened disciples and then leaders were affirmed. As a matter of fact, when Paul and Barnabas came back, you would think that those were kind of wobbling about being a leader or not being a leader. They probably would have thought, I'm opting out based on what I just heard. But instead, they appointed leaders and sent them out as elders in churches. So the church advanced. Now, aren't you glad that the church of Jesus advanced through all those tribulations to get here in 2022, that we can be part of the church? The thing that would think that upon human hands, it would fall apart, and certainly it would. And that's why we believe and we know that Jesus is always here and with this church. As I work with churches all over the Tri-County area, I enter into different stories. I believe the church is like a living epistle. When Paul wrote epistles to the churches at, at Philippi or Colossae or Ephesus, he wrote, a, he wrote a letter to them. And in the letter, you have different chapters. And some chapters of every church's history has good chapters, and it has some bad chapters in it. 
But the good part about it is whether it's good or bad, no matter what's going on, God is always at work and his purpose is always being fulfilled in and through his church. Many times I come to a church where they're struggling to the point where they're saying, hey, we need to begin to think about a repurposing or a point of re, re, replanting the mission of the gospel here because we need to have help and strength. And we've seen that over across the region. We've seen churches such as Holmes Avenue go through a revitalization process, which y'all are in, is revitalizing the church, seeking to expand and encourage and bless this community and strengthen the members that are here. I'm so grateful that we can be encouraging to one another. I've asked Ian uh, just to close out this morning uh, by praying for us and also for him uh, just to share a brief word of encouragement. Uh, Remount Baptist Church went through a lot of trials. They were tested, they were challenged, there were obstacles, but along the way, a people that were faithful and prayed for God to do something next exactly did that. Ian was uh, raised in the church uh, since he was a baby. So he was, uh, he was on the roll. In fact, you were probably there when your mom was expecting, when you had perfect attendance probably when she was at church. <laughs> but Ian has been there from, a, from childhood all the way to being a deacon. Uh, and now he's following a call for ministry. So I wanted you to see him so you can pray for him as God calls him out to help strengthen some of our established churches and serve there. We don't know where, but we're asking God to lead the way for him. And I want him to share a brief word of testimony with us and then pray for us and then we'll conclude our message today. So just grab that mic right there, Ian, and share with us if you would. Good morning. Um, 2020, right off the heels of when COVID started, at Remount Baptist Church, we were down to 20, 20 to 30 faithful servants, and <clears throat> we were being shepherded well, but we had kind of stagnated. We were more focused on you know keeping the doors open and, and we we're in survival mode just trying to hang on as best we could and there became it became obvious that something needed to change otherwise you know the history of remount would be over and so we were you know tested by the holy spirit we were we were seeking god's will on what we should do and our pastor at the time was meeting with craig and and we were having discussions about a possible replant um, we voted on it. It was actually a unanimous vote. Every, everybody in the church agreed to move forward with the replant. And so that began a process that was not easy. It, was, it, it definitely had its challenges. There were times that we almost wanted to just kind of walk away and say, this, this is too hard. But knowing that, that if God's behind it, that ultimately it will succeed, that God's mission is going to go forward, regardless of what we do, and, and we want to be walking with him. We don't want to be in opposition to God. And so it was a time of um, definitely stepping out of our comfort zones, but it was very rewarding. Looking where we are, where we are now, looking back to where we were, is you know, truly God's work. And it was a blessing to be a part of it. And now we've gone from uh, a handful of members just trying to hold on and keep the doors open to now we're working in several ministries in our community. We're working through a, a Families Count ministry where we're partnering with a, another church and helping parents who've either lost children, lost their children to the DSS or are in danger of losing them, helping them to go through parenting classes. We've got a thriving learning center that we're, we're definitely blessing the community. 
uh, partnering with a local school in the area. And so all these things, the mission of God is going forward, the kingdom of God's advancing, and now we're, we're partnering with it. We're not in opposition to it, but we're moving with it. And so it's our prayer that, you know, similar churches that are similar to where we were a couple years ago, that you would listen to the Holy Spirit, that we'd pray together, and we would encourage one another to be a part of that mission, to let, to, to let that mission go forward. And so I just pray for you all. I pray for all these other churches in our community, and, um, and hopefully we can collaborate and work together and, and see that mission go forward. If you would, please bow your heads. We'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this community, this park circle area, Lord, all these faithful churches that are seeking to do what you would have us to do. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, and help us to be an encouragement to one another. Lord, let us tell our stories, share our stories. Let us be united for your kingdom's sake. Help us to be about your work and your mission, proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. I ask these things in your name. Amen.